Hello and welcome to BakaCast for the week of uh, Christmas. Whatever. We're recording December 24th. It's Christmas Eve. Yeah. Some of us are full of eggnog already. Some of us aren't. Uh, I am your host, Dustin. Uh, I am currently thawing a turkey. Uh, It's better than being one. With me today is Larry, who's apparently already getting drunk on nog. Uh, yeah, well, into everybody's life, a little nog must fall. <clears throat> Please, sir, I have enough ne- I have enough egg. I just need more nog. <laughs> Hi, Ben. Uh, currently suffering from a cold. Yeah, that was uh, me a few days ago, but I got antibiotics. Uh, don't talk to me about antibiotics. Good, good drugs. Um, anyway... Show notes. As always, you can find show notes for this at www.projectharahi.net or at www.audioentropy.com. And we'll begin our reviews with Kino's Journey, maybe? Because I didn't. I actually didn't bother watching 10 and 11 of Kino's Journey. I'm not sure if anyone else did. Uh, I did. Okay. Good for you. Did you, Larry? No. Okay. Do you want to just, like, briefly recap what happened, maybe? Okay, so, uh... Alright, episode 10. Uh, Kino's journey goes to this... Goes to this country where... Uh, where, like, she heard rumors that, like, everybody in the country was, like, supposed to be really rude. But when she goes there... When she goes there, all the... Everybody's really nice to her. Uh... And... And then, you know, she, she... She stays there for three days... You know, befriends this uh, befriends this cute little girl who's the daughter of the uh, innkeepers who took her in, and and she gets uh, actually this is the one where she gets that uh, she gets the uh, the woodsman pistol. Oh yeah. Um, and because uh, yeah, the uh, the the guy uh, the gun shop owner just uh, the gun shop owner just gives it to her. He's like, well, I'm not using it anymore. Yeah. So so it's like so everybody treats her you know, you know treats her like like a you know like a dignitary you know giving her anything she could possibly want and then when she leaves a volcanic eruption destroys the ta- destroys the country and and it turned and like she gets the in the, the very end like she like you know they sent her on her way with uh, they sent her on her way with like uh, you know some uh, some food. And in the bag of food was a letter that said they, you know, they knew the volcano was going to erupt and destroy the country, and you know they wanted, and they realized that you know that they had this reputation for being really rude, but they wanted to, you know, go out. They wanted to go out, you know, with a better reputation and, and actually be remembered for being nice. Yawn. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah, and that was that episode. Uh, it's okay. Uh, episode eleven is actually is actually Kino's origin story, where where she uh, is uh, turns out she's from this uh, from uh, you know what's known as the country of adults where. Uh, children, when they reach their 12th birthday, 
they are forced to submit to this uh, surgery that supposedly turns them into adults. Um, and 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 so uh, and so Kino is this, and uh, you know the the would be you know the Kino to be is actually is this little girl who's about to turn twelve, uh, and she meets up with this guy who's a you know a traveler. Uh, who is actually named who? who and the, the guy is named Kino, and he gets uh, and he like he receives he actually gets her Kino actually gets Hermes like the guy Kino like gets gets Hermes in this in this town uh, where they 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 basically give him this broken down broken down motor rod and he refurbishes it and fixes it. And it becomes like the Hermes we know, uh, and so he tells her, you know, stories about, <clears throat> you know, you know, stories about his travels, and and so she starts to become, you know, so the girl starts becoming skeptical of like, you know, she's like thinking maybe I don't actually want to go through the surgery, and when she says that, her parents and everybody in the town get really mad, and are actually like. Are on the are like about to try and kill her, or like they they actually flat out her dad actually tries to stab her, and the guy Kino steps in the way and takes the and takes the knife in the chest and dies. And okay. Kino at like at, at this point, and so Kino, you know, the girl gets onto Hermes and rides out of the town. Hmm. And and so and she takes the name and she takes the name Kino because previously, as a child, she didn't have a name. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Huh. The... Well, be the first character we've run across that was no name, but it's been a while. It it just sounds like a very generic origin story. Well. <laughs> After the discussion I heard before we started recording, yeah, the last episode, okay. Oh, nah, the nah, last nah. episode is definitely a change of pace, I'll just tell you that. Good. Uh, so are you going to rate them, or are you just going to... Uh... Uh, actually, I kind of like I kind of like them. I'll give them fours. All right, let's move on to MMO Junkie. <laughs> Episodes ten through eleven. Uh, I'm so I like how this ended, but man, it took a while to get there. And as cute as episode eleven was, it was also very slow as well. In just terms of like, there's a lot of scenes. Uh, oh, sorry, I mean like. Episode 10. I actually didn't watch episode 11. I didn't get around to that, uh, which is like the sort of post-ending OVA. Uh, But episode 10, I liked how it ended, but it was, a lot of it was kind of um, the two main characters uh, like doing vaguely romantic things and then freaking out about it for a, a few seconds before doing the next vaguely romantic thing and freaking out about it. And it just kind of got repetitive. Um, yeah, it's... It, it was nice to see it finally happen, but man, 
Was it worth the it effort? Really, episode 10 was really clumsily written in that regard. Where it... Like, when, when your two leads finally, like, meet up and get together, uh, during that whole process, I shouldn't be thinking, oh, get on with it already. Yeah, <laughs> I had that I had that feeling myself. Like, if I'm thinking that, you screwed up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the thing is, though, is that it was, like, it was perfectly in character for these people, because these people are really awkward. Yeah, but at the same time, it was very obnoxious. <laughs> yeah, I wish they'd. I wish they'd. Yeah, I wish this episode had been tightened up, and like, like the awkwardness should have been just left for like the first half of the episode. Yeah. And then, then for the rest of the episode, they should have just got tried to go a little bit further in developing their relationship. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think I would have preferred it if, um, like we got. Like, we got, you know, the obvious awkwardness out of the way first, and then it's like, okay, we'll fast forward a bit where uh, to when they're a little more comfortable, and we can actually start having some interesting character interaction discussion as opposed to just like, oh god, I touched your hand! For like 15 minutes. Mm, yeah. Um, I mean, it, there, yes, there were some awkward moments, but it on the whole, and since, you know, you didn't watch the other episode, uh, um, I, I, I've seen worse. I've seen better. Yeah, I mean, like, it's it's certainly not bad. It, yeah, um, it, it's just it's just less of a exciting sort of conclusion than I would have liked. It um, ended up it ended up in a good place, but it took way too long to get there. Yeah, which is why I'm going to give this episode a three. Yeah, same here. And... Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Episode eleven. Episode eleven was very. It was uh, very cute and funny. Yes. It, it's actually like it's actually structurally it's too many episodes really. Like. Yeah. Like like the first half of the episode it actually shows like uh, shows uh, Moriko and Sakurai. You know after. Episode episode ten they. They seem to have gotten well a little bit more comfortable with each other, and at the end of the like at the end of the part, they agree to go to a hot springs with Koi Wai. Well, that was instead of it was like well wait a minute I don't want her to think I'm entrapping her. This I know I'll invest my best friend, and then he says okay, and he says that story is for the OVA. <laughs> uh, yeah, and the second half of the episode is this surreal dream sequence. Where like uh, where Moriko and Sakurai are like falling asleep at their computers, and they end up in the game like, as themselves. Yeah, and they imagine this like just bizarre, just like this bizarre mashup of like the game and their lives. <clears throat> you know, with all the other with all the various characters showing up in interesting interesting roles, and that was really fun. Uh, I'm gonna give episode eleven a four. Yeah, I can give it a four. I can. It was... And I'm gonna give the series as a whole a four. Yeah, uh, believe it or not, Benjamin, you and I are in agreement. It's no, no, to roll out the red carpet or anything, but yeah, we're in agreement. Yeah, I'll, I'll probably give my 
full score for the series after I uh, next week after well next time we record after I watch episode eleven. Uh, right now, I'm kind of waffling between a three and a four. Because yeah, as much as I liked it, I also had a lot of issues with sort of the pacing um, in like uh, near the end of it. So, but yeah, Fair enough. yeah. Regard uh, regardless of where I end up falling on it, I still think it's like a pretty solid rom com. And the fact that I even made it all the way through a rom com should say good things about it. Because normally I just bounce off those okay. real quick. I, I need to bring up something really quick. You're starting to break up, and it sounds like... Oh, I am? sounds like your wireless is trying to fail on you. Yeah, that happens a lot. I'll just hope it okay. ends up being okay. Well, uh, check the chat. If you see me go, hello, hello, that means you vanished. All right, sounds good. Uh, so moving on to I just lost the list there it is uh, Magus Bride episodes 10 and 11 uh, wait a minute I didn't hear that <laughs> oh so, Magus Bride yes um, these episodes were so beautiful they were um, yeah let's see I'm trying to remember this is where she went to the land of the dragons right um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So she... a selkie shows up, and and with uh, like the older version of one of the dragons she met in episode three, uh, and they basically take her to the land of the dragons, and she gets to learn Elias's backstory, and she starts carving her wand. Yes. Yep. And she comes to find out Elias has got quite a backstory. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I like the idea of and this explains some some of like why Elias behaves the way he does as well um, in that Elias didn't really start out as like a normal human wizard or like a, a normal even sort of fae kind of creature he was just picked up one day by a wizard and that wizard basically told him how to basically taught him how to interact with society yeah and uh, yeah and and that gets back to the discussion a discussion we had uh earlier in the season where i was talking about or i was talking about my idea my notion that that elias at some fundamental level doesn't really get how human relationships work yeah. Oh, definitely. And, I can. I can say oh, this, definitely. This goes in. This goes into a lot more depth about that because it because it shows that like everything he knows about human relationships is something that he had to that he had to learn later in life, and so and and it, so it's not something that he just instinct he knows by instinct like the way a regular human would. Yeah. 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 And so that really it illuminates like how he how he treats Chise. And you know, and it shows that the way he treats Chise is definitely not ideal. Even if like even if like for her it's like better than anything she's ever any anything she's ever experienced in her life. <clears throat> but it's still not ideal because there are some things about how humans think that he 
doesn't really get in his bones. Not yet. I, I think this is going to become a grand learning experience for both yes. of them. But yeah, I I really enjoyed both just the the visual opulence in the settings they go to, uh, but also uh, having Chise learn more about Elias, uh, largely because it makes him a more vulnerable character. Uh, which I think is necessary. Uh, it, it helps shift the power dynamics a bit to be more balanced. Um, so that it, it's not just Elias being uh, like the sort of uh, omniscient protector. And it's more that Elias is just a little more experienced, but still has his own um, personal uh, personal weaknesses. And uh, say knowing that now can connect with him in in that way uh so it, it it definitely does a lot to help their relationship dynamic feel you know more natural and more uh more fair i should say well you know uh, when he said that another, he missed uh, her you know that was a honest hey you know i miss you i i don't know why but i do miss you and that's that's the first thing it's like Okay, I miss her. Why do I miss her? Another thing I should point out, another thing I should bring up, is one thing this series really has going for it that you don't see in a lot of other fantasy series is the way it treats magic. It's like, because in a lot of other fantasy series, like, magic is treated as a kind of alternative physics. Like, Full Metal Alchemist, for instance. Yeah, a- anime in particular has a real big tendency for treating magic like this. Um, this sort of magic is actually a lot more in line with, say, how Tolkien or C.S. Lewis treated magic. It's a cool. lot more sort of. Uh, well, it's it's rooted it's rooted in uh, it's rooted in folklore. Yeah. You know, so it's not. Whereas in a lot of you know, a lot of modern, a lot of other modern anime, it's, you know, magic is treated as a form of, like, comic book superpowers. Yeah. Or, or as, or as an alternative physics. Okay. With, like, rules and, you know, things that people can tweak. Whereas this, it's like, you know, everybody, like, you know, like, people learn, like, techniques and things, but... Like, the rules are not, you know, something that can be proved mathematically. You know, and, you know, like, and the usual, like, the ways of science can only get you so far in dealing with this kind of magic. So I thought that was, I think, like, the way this show treats magic is really fascinating. Yeah, I I really enjoy it. Um, I'll, I'll give both of these episodes fives. Yep. Yes. Alright, so let's move on to uh, Altair. Um, are we starting on episode 21 or 22? 20, 20, 21. It's the four, it's the it's, four battle. It's, it's, yeah, it's something until 23. 
Yeah. yeah something from I'll, I'll figure it out. Yeah, well, we'll just start talking and... Well, yeah. Well, it, yeah, basically this whole arc, this whole arc deals with the, you know, the siege of Cielo. Yeah, one giant siege. Um, well, with... <laughs> Although it uh, it takes off, it goes off and into a other into another city as well. Yeah, uh, towards the end, and that was kind of cool. Yeah, so episode uh, twenty two is honestly probably not going to be a whole very interesting to talk about because it's largely like uh, <clears throat> battle tactics. It's, it's like those episodes of Legend of the Galactic Heroes where it was literally the entire thing was just ship shooting at each other. <laughs> like, yeah. That's sort of what Altair 22 is. Um, Sunk my battleship. Uh, uh, yeah, although, let's see. I think it was episode 20, it was episode 21 where, where, uh, where, where Mahmoud, like, counter traps the uh, the empire the imperial army yeah general whatever his name Pio Pio Pino Pino close yeah you're asking and, me to remember more than two days anymore is rough right and, and, right and so you like where like you know where Pino and his people had completely wiped you know had you know completely slaughtered Halil and his army <clears throat> you know using you know some uh, very you know very smart uh, tactics, yeah, and, you know, which which actually brought the expertise of a lot of their people in. So it shows that so it shows that the Imperial Army, like, has a lot of you know has a lot of depth to it. Like, it's not just the generals that are brilliant; they actually have staff officers that, you know, can uh, can come up with some really some really some really uh, innovative solutions. Uh. And, but then, but then Mahmoud turns it around on them, and when, the way he did that was so satisfying. Yeah, kind of basically caught them with their pants down. Uh, they're like, "Wait a minute, how did the? Uh, uh, wait, where did they? Uh, oops!" And of course, the ending of it all was. Uh, um, Minister Lewis is now basically out an army. I don't think many of them escape. Well, the 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 portly guy and the seer escaped, but everybody else pretty much got slaughtered. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Which well, you see that in, in well episode twenty three focuses on uh, focuses on on mostly on what's happening inside Cielo, mm. where. Where like the siege is taking its toll on the people there, and a bunch of them panic and kill the director. Yep, sell him out. Yeah, and so we get, man, the the dramatic speeches in this episode were a little much at times. Really kind of corny and cliche. I. Like, it felt like they were put together by a predictive text algorithm for dramatic speeches. Um, I don't have any problem with the, with, like, the sort of point they were trying to get across here in that there was a lot of blame to go around and, like, punishing anyone in particular 
would be a bad idea at this juncture. Uh, so as much as it might be cathartic to uh, punish the people who killed um, the director, it wouldn't really accomplish anything useful. Yeah, the deed's um, done. I think I think that's a good message. But man, the way it's communicated is just so incredibly ham-fisted. <laughs> I liked it. Well, it, it, what, it, what it actually reminds me of what it actually reminds me of is is structurally it seems like this like this story we're seeing is <clears throat> is actually kind of a somewhat romanticized and idealized like telling of this world history um, in which you know you think about like okay like the words that these guys say, you know, the speeches these guys give, you know, may not have been like that in the real history of this world. In other words, a uh, modernization. Yeah. Uh, but it's like, I mean, think of like, okay, think of like the way Shakespeare, for instance, tells history. I mean, do you think the real Henry V gave anything like the St. Crispin's Day speech in real life. Mm, uh, okay, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and so I appreciated it on that kind of level. Uh, and, and I also appreciated, I also appreciated thinking about like, you know, what Tarbahal did by, like, accepting that he was going to die. You know, a accepting accepting that these people, these, you know, these panicked citizens were going to kill him. Uh, you know, what he and, like, the way that everybody reacted to it after he died and after the city was rescued, what it does is it ensures that Carbajal's policy of making Cielo a haven for refugees is going to endure. And so that gave me a very satisfying sense. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I see where you're I see where you're uh, where you've meandered to here. Yes. I, th I think my issue was a little less with his speech and more with the ones that directly pre preceded and came afterward, especially the one from, uh, gosh, the one black-haired lady. I can't remember what her name uh, is. Cassandra. Yeah. Yeah, Cassandra's speeches were the ones that really graded me. Like, the director's speech was fine. Like, I didn't really have any issues with it. Uh, but there were just the, most of the others just felt like excessive um and sort of not didn't really tell us anything we didn't already get or um, could have guessed but yeah it's i don't know i just felt like as much as i like altair um and as much as i uh it does feel a lot of times like it is a, a sort of a it's a lot clumsier in its writing than, say, an L.O.G.H. is. 
Um, it sort of hits hits a lot of the same beats, but um, it, it its dialogue is not up up to the same sort of standards, uh, which is fine. Like not everything can be an logh, uh, but also it, it's very noticeable to me. Okay. Um, I'll give episodes twenty two and twenty three. I'll give 22 a 4 and 23 a 3. Uh, uh, let's see. I'll give I'll give 22 a 5 and 23 a 4. Mm, I'm uh, 22 and 23. I can go uh, a pair of 4s. There you go. All right. A little spread in the bandwidth. Next up is Blood Blockade Battlefront and Beyond, episodes 10 and 11. Yo, episode 10 <laughs> is maybe one of my favorite Blood Blockade episodes. The Adventures of KK. That thing is so good. Like, just the idea of making... Because did, did, was it revealed before, before this episode <laughs> that KK was a mom? Uh... Because I don't remember it, but also my memory is very bad, so I could. Yeah, just... I don't remember anything like that. There might have been. Yeah. There might have been like an incidental line of dialogue. Yeah. So for one thing, I adore that. Like, it's revealed that KK has a kid. Z- um. Well, two kids actually. Yeah, she a, has two a, sons. It's a plural, yes. And. Like she does like normal mom things when she's not like being a deadly sniper. Uh, and it's just a really I love all of the character development that happens in this episode she has a really wonderful uh, a lot of wonderful scenes with her kids uh, especially like the one where her one kid is like berating her for not being able to come to like the parent teacher conference or whatever (laughs) because she's gonna have to murder some gangsters parents day Uh, yeah parents day parents day see it that's one thing I've noticed that the they're they're very strong on on things like Parents Day, so I can see where that. Uh, I also had a lot of love for the scene soon after that, where like her husband is talking to her, and like they're just having a chat about their kids while like she brushes her teeth. Mm-hmm. It's just such a extremely mundane, normal kind of thing that contrasts really well with the typical insanity of blood blockade. Uh, and then of course, like eventually it, it, the episode does get really crazy with, um, like, uh, KK compromising by sort of being like using a VR headset to remotely control all of her sniper rifles. (laughs) So she can be at Parents' Day and also kill gangsters. Um, yeah, right. com- combined with the reveal that, like, the dad of the girl that uh, her son likes uh, is, like, her en- her explicit enemy. Yeah, a, a baddie baddie. Uh, and the whole thing is just really wonderful. I loved it a lot. Yeah. And the And the final scene, like, really killed me. Where they're like, oh, we, I'm sorry, it's, uh, you know, you, you won't be able to, uh, to see your friend again for a while. 
until you're grown up and then you can understand. And there's just like, we'll just use Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, it's mom's no problem. I, I can keep in contact with her anytime I want. Just wonderfully undercutting the melodramatic ending. It's really good. Well, the the part that I got, and it's I guess it's the parent of me coming out, is when KK sees the two of them together, all of a sudden the lights come on. She goes, wow, she's cute. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Daughter, KK daughter-in-law, is super daughter-in-law. stoked. <laughs> daughter-in-law. Daughter-in-law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, been there, seen that. Know how this is going to turn out. Uh. Yeah, much much like um, much like the the first werewolf episode did a lot for uh, Chain. uh, Chain's uh, character. Like this episode does a whole lot for KK's character, and like we ha- we haven't really seen KK a whole lot this season. Yeah, um, well, she's, just she's been, been she's very just, background. Yeah, she yeah she's just been like uh, just quietly <laughs> shooting things. Yeah, but this episode alone made her one of my favorites. Like, it's really impressive, actually. Well, and I, again, you know, I'm sitting here watching this <laughs> from a parent's perspective and going, okay. And when it, when it when it got to school and her eyes lit up, I said, I already knew what the next line was going to be. It's just like, yeah, yeah. You're looking for a daughter-in-law already. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Give it some air, lady, will ya? Yeah, because... Uh... A lot of things happen between childhood and adulthood. Oh, and, and you know, that's back to that arranged marriage thing that's kind of indicative to it. You know, a lot of arranged marriages fall apart because the parents think this is going to be a wonderful thing when the kids are two or three years old, and by the time they're 13, they can't stand to be in the same country with the other person. Yeah. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, shall we move on to the first half of the uh, <coughs> yeah, so the next episode of Blood, Blood Blockade is the start of a uh, two-parter, I believe. Yes. Yep. Uh, next, which next. Uh, focuses on, uh, actually has uh, Leo's sister, uh, Michelle, um, showing up again uh, in something that isn't just like a flashback, which is nice. Uh, also, she's getting married. Well, it looks like she's got a problem. Sort of. Yeah. She. She. she yeah. The, the, the problem is, is that her fiance has been taken over by uh, a, big, a monster big, big. with uh, with uh, his own superpowered eyes. Yeah. And you know the funny thing is, is, is when Leo was trying to tell Zap, "Hey, you know I'm not alone here," and it just blew right over Zap's head. I'm like, you idiot. Of course, then again, that's Zap. Zap's an idiot. Yeah, you can't you can't rely on Zap for anything. Uh, well, I, I did see the next episode. Well, good for you. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I I'm just it's, I'm in this kind of a mood. Excuse me if I'm a little yeah. terse at times. It's, yeah. There's a bunch of things going on that I wish would resolve themselves in a hurry, but it's again whatever. Um, yeah, is that? <clears throat> so really, there's not a whole lot to say until the other half of the episode kind of airs. Yeah, yeah. So right, yeah. Next yeah, I, 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 yeah. I feel we should. Uh, I feel like uh, we should skip rating. Yep. Um, 
I'll, I'll definitely rate the KK episode of five. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, uh, well, five. if you didn't, I think I'd even have to raise a stink about that. Yeah, I, I think well, I'll skip out on rating the this two parter though. Yeah, because yeah. it 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 left itself in enough of a cliffhanger that you're not really sure where you're going because you got pieces and bits, but you didn't have enough to come to a conclusion. So well, yeah, you? well, yeah, the episode 10 is all about sort of, you know, getting, uh, you know, getting Leonardo, you know, <laughs> getting Leonardo into trouble. And then the uh, next episode shows how he gets out of it. Yeah. So we will we will talk about that next week, folks, or next time. I, you I especially our... loved, I especially the title of episode 10, Bratatat Mom. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The title is very good. All right. KK is like, you know. And I I love it, you know, they give her bio, you know, this, that, female, age, unknown. But at the bottom it says married with two kids. So, you know, we know at least she's not 16. (laughs) She's not 16. Well. (laughs) Anyway, moving right along. Yeah, so uh, let's talk about Juni Tyson, episode 11 through 12. <laughs> I Man. It was, it was interesting. It was not entirely satisfying, but it was interesting. Yeah, so episode, episode uh, 11, episode 11 especially was kind of neat just because uh, episode 11 is where we learn about Rat's power. Uh, and he basically has the ability to essentially save and reload um, and just go through different routes to find the one that will actually help him live. Uh, so, yeah, he, he has the power to quick save and quick load, um, <laughs> which is a pretty handy <coughs> one to have. Uh, yeah. And so, like, we, we get some uh, really neat implementation of it in this episode where he keeps trying to find a way to um, basically avoid the post-battle interview because uh, he's the one who eventually wins. Um, and every time he tries, it just fails. So he's like, well, I guess i got to be inter- interviewed then. <laughs> right. And, yeah. And... And actually, I kind of like the way that, it's, that, like, what he went through in, like, you know, the various, like, paths that he tried and failed at, you know, and that he died, that he died with, or they sort of illuminate, like, the eventual decision that he makes at the end of episode 12, which, so, I thought, like, overall, it was well-constructed. But it was not satisfying. Yeah, my main issue with how Judy Tyson ended is that, like the sort of the episode in episode twelve, Rat tries to figure out what wish he wants, and he realizes that like he has he has nothing he wants, and he was forced to go through Judy Tyson. 
and kill a bunch of people who actually had wishes only for him to not have anything decent to wish for. Um, which is a really neat character beat, like being forced to survive and kill a bunch of people who you like have gained a lot of respect for, um, who and who you may think are actually more deserving of winning than you are. Um, that's a neat character beat, but also it it it's a sort of terrible and very unsatisfying way to end the way this show was structured because like rat wasn't the main character until literally the end uh, in fact there were very few characters that were the main character until the episode in which they starred in um, and that was kind of a consistent problem with Judy Tyson is that sort of in the background it wanted to do these interesting character beats but it was constantly stymied by the fact that I couldn't really muster up enough emotion to care most of the time because the character beats never mattered for more than the episode that it happened in like at the most you know we had Tiger's backstory influenced the next episode um, and have an effect on Ox and that was like the most we ever got so I can see <laughs> I can see a version of Judy Tyson where this ending works for me uh, a version where it focused had a more traditional structure uh, that focused more on rat um, maybe focused maybe focus more on a few particular characters uh and their interactions rather than giving everyone um equal time but that isn't what this show ended up being and so it just feels like i wasted a lot of time to get an ending that matters for a character i never really had any attachment to well yeah, I don't have. I didn't have a problem getting attached to the characters. Um, that's just the way I am. I can. I can like, like in the moment, like in the episode where they're profiled, I can kind of start. Yeah, I can see where the character is coming from, and I can start rooting for them. Um, that's just yeah. I mean, that's just the way I am with you know how I how I approach characters. Now the fundamental problem I had with this show was was its cynicism about war and politics, which I think is fundamentally false. You know, because because the thing is, in the modern day. Wars don't just happen because, you know, a bunch of people, a bunch of, you know, power brokers behind the scenes, you know, you know, like, uh, pull the strings of society and politics. You know, modern day wars happen because people believe in them. And... You know, even though, you know, some people, like, you know, sometimes elites can manipulate people 
but they can't just, you know, go and do things in in contravention of the people's will, at least not in the long term. Eventually, eventually, wars, you know, wars without the, you know, without buy-in from the people, yeah, are not sustainable. I mean, we've we've literally seen this happen multiple times in just America. Like we had the most famous example being Vietnam, but we also saw that happen in Afghanistan, where eventually people got tired of it. Um, They're tired of it now. It became, un- yeah, it's still tired of it, uh, and you know, became unsustainable. And the even the people who wanted to keep doing it had to you know, sort of pull back at least a little bit to uh, sort of appease the, where the general public opinion was going. Uh, oh. Yeah, the the idea that you can just, you know, keep wars going on forever is just, yeah, it's, it's silly. Well, it's... <laughs> it, I mean, Lyndon Johnson when he decided not to run for president, one of the big reasons he didn't run for president and quietly kept until he wrote his memoirs is the Tet Offensive and the body bags started coming home and he just like, what am I doing? I can't get out of this. I can't stop it. I can't control it. I'm going to dump it in somebody else's lap. All right. Well, yeah, because in order for a war to be sustainable... Victory has to mean something. And, you know, in places like Vietnam and Iraq, you know, people just didn't get, like, what victory really means. You know, and, like, and it just was not possible, you know, because people didn't really get, like, what it would mean to really win. You know, because there was a fundamental confusion about that. Well, it was you know, the, meant that you just couldn't, you can't keep it going like that. Uh, it was the World War II mentality, you know. It, we wear uniforms, we know who the bad guys look like, this, that, and the other thing. And then you, you get to Vietnam and uh, there's no uniforms. The guy planting rice has got an AK-47 buried next to him. And the minute you walk by, he pulls it out of the rice paddy and shoots you. And it, it just all, they wanted a war that was going to end like the Second World War, and it, it would never, it can't happen anymore. Those wars don't exist. Yeah. So, yeah, and, 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 and just like the fundamental, like, the fundamental, like, the basic structure around this, uh, about, around which the Juni Typhon is even designed, just has no real relevance to, to the real world. And, and that makes, you know, Juni Tyson ultimately an empty show. Although it had some interesting, it had some interesting takes on, you know, uh, on some like, on various issues, like especially with Tiger's story and, uh, and, you know, her, you know, their, their take on PTSD I thought that was really well done. I actually liked, like, the uh, the Snake and Dragon story, because what that showed was the, was the, uh, the unintended consequences of redistribution without a, like, you know, 
without follow through. Yeah, without without some sort of structure right. to support it. Yeah, right. Because you have because you had Snake and Dragon. You know, they were like stealing a whole bunch of money and then giving it away without really having a plan for like you know what is giving what is you know what is giving all these people this stolen money going to do for them. Though also, though on the other hand, they also super didn't care. They just wanted to do anything that caused chaos, basically. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, it's yeah, it, it's weird in that Judy Tyson occasionally had some interesting things to say, but it just didn't have. It tried to do multiple things. But did not structure itself in such, but structured itself in such a way that, like, in order to actually do all the, any of those things well, it would need to have just like picked picked one or two of them and really focused in on, you know, that. Uh, but it tried to do mm-hmm. a lot, and so just felt kind of messy. And I don't feel like anything it tried to do was really given enough time or attention. Uh, so yeah. Uh, I'll give episode 10 a, a f- sorry, episode 11 a 4 just for being like really kind of clever. Uh, episode 12 gets a 3 and the series as a whole I think gets a 3 as well. Uh, it's it's a it's an interesting show but also a very messy show and had I known it was sort of end up like this, I'm not sure I would have bothered with it. Um, I am actually going, I'm actually going to give episode 11 and 12 fours, and, except I'm going to give the series as a whole a three, because I think, due to its basic, due to its, you know, due to its mindset, it ends up being less than the sum of its parts. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's move on to Garo episodes ten and eleven. I really appreciated with episode ten that it shows the collateral damage of superhero fights. I was thinking exactly the same thing. Actually, it's like, oh, huh. This is it's actually showing what a fight scene like this would actually look like if it occurred in a city. Right. Like, because in episode eight. In episode eight, you got like Garo, you got uh, Sword and the, you know, and and the Knight and Knight, like just like wailing at each other and like throwing each other around the city and like crashing into buildings and wrecking, just wrecking things all over indiscriminately, uh, and like you know, and episode ten shows like, you know, that there were real people under that rubble. I really appreciate. I really appreciated that. That's something you don't see in a lot of superhero, a lot of superhero yeah. type shows. We also see uh, uh, more instances of Garo, like sort of, like sprinkling its cast with a uh, little diversity as well. Uh, we get some more black characters. Um, it's it seems to be implied. Uh, it's never outright stated, but. Um, based on visual cues it seems like uh garo is uh implying that luke's mother is uh 
from some uh, Native American tribe. Yeah. Uh, at least she <sighs> she has sort of this just sort of stereotypical like um, aesthetic indicators, not like super like stereotypical like headbands and feathers and stuff like that. That would be like actually offensive. No. Um, but sort of like the kind of a modern. Oh man, it's hard to describe, but like anyone who's lived in Arizona knows exactly what that stuff looks like. Like Arizona, New New Mexico, like you know what that that clothing style looks like. Um, it's understated. Kind of the, it's understated, and because it's understated, it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. And she's and she's sort of got like a, a tan a tan skin and stuff like that. So uh and black hair so it does seem like uh, luke's mother is supposed to be an indigenous tribe or from an indigenous tribe i should say yeah um, which and, which is kind of nice to see especially because like she's super badass and luke's and luke's father is knight yeah and luke's father is an asshole gee tell us how you uh, really feel sorry even before he got corrupted by the book he was kind of a jerk um. Yeah, right. Because because it showed because in earlier episodes it was showing Luke trying to train uh, to become a Makai knight, and yeah. his father just like you know smacking him around like saying get stronger. Yeah, his father just doesn't care. Whereas like his mother is actually training him in a in a useful fashion, <laughs> right, which is why he becomes a Makai alchemist instead. Yeah. Uh, and is super good with guns. Uh, but yeah, I actually kind of liked Luke's backstory. Um, and I, like you said, I liked the, the sort of city coming together to deal with the aftermath of what happened in episode eight. So it was a nice, it was kind of a nice <laughs> scene away from the action. And like, even though it, you know, it sort of got. Um, heavy-handed at times i think that sort of heavy-handed melodrama often works for garo especially because it usually doesn't linger too long um the dialogue in this series is thankfully rarely overwrought um it's usually pretty snappy so kind of more blunt and uh, sort of more blunt and melodramatic dialogue doesn't really bother me as much just because you know it, it doesn't overstay its welcome it also fits the tone of the show yeah uh so i'll give episode 10 uh i'll give it a four i'll give it a five and then uh we move on to episode 11 uh which was kind of a goofy episode honestly uh at least for garo standards because like the in episode 11 there is a sheriff who is already a, a, a horror um who convinces this entire town that's basically texas like a sort of a representation of a random texas town um and convinces them that sword is actually a serial killing kidnapper or whatever <laughs> and so you have this entire town like out to get sword and trying to uh recapture sophie to try and save her 
complete with this cra- uh, this crazy old lady bringing out a minigun to shoot its sword. <laughs> that was hilarious. It, get, it gets wild. <laughs> yeah, they're bringing out, like, uh, bazookas. Yeah. Uh, it's also very accurate uh, to America, because everybody has a gun. Not everybody, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, I know. Most everybody. Uh, we'll go with most everybody. But yeah, it, it's very... It, it's kind of a goofy episode, but I enjoyed it, actually. <laughs> well, goofy anime sounds like uh, it could be relaxing. Yeah, I do, I do think uh, Sophie... Uh, I was a little disappointed by how much time uh, Sophie had to spend, like, sort of... Uh, uh, yelling and screaming and being like kidnapped um, because in the other episodes she was uh, I don't know a, a little more a little more sassy and uh, had more survival instincts uh, but other than that like I enjoyed this episode a lot <laughs> Fathomless like I've seen Fathomless Blue comment on Garo Fabulous Blue does not like Vanishing Light at all at this point. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I could see not digging the show. Um, I'm still enjoying it, but also like I don't think it's any. I don't. Th- I don't think it's any worse than the first season was. Like, uh, I, I think it's at, at the very least like just as good as the first season of Garo. Uh, anime, um, and occasionally better. So, yeah, I don't know if was blue. I'm sorry, but I don't. I don't get why you hate this show so much. <laughs> I, I still like it. Uh, so I'll give episode eleven a four as well. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna give it a four. Um. Anyway. I think it's on to Inuyashiki episodes 9 through 10 now. Um, man. 9 and 10 were really... I guess I'm not sure exactly what they were building up to if this was going to be the conclusion. Like... Why even have heroes like temporary change of heart uh, if this was how it was gonna go down? Um, granted, this might change for episode 11, but honestly, it feels like if you just stuck episode 9 in, like as sort of the the escalation of the one episode where he kills 4chan like and just cut everything else out that came out came between that episode and nine like i don't really feel like anything significant changes um and it's especially bothering because episode nine just felt more like, yeah, let's just spend another episode watching him kill a bunch of people. It's like, yeah, we already hate the dude. Like, you you don't need we don't need more of that. Uh, 
and then, and then I had a whole issue with like, um, with Inu, with uh, Idiyashki's uh, uh, daughter. Mar- I think it's Marie. Is Mar- it Mari? Mari. Uh, how we're supposed to super care about her, even though she's been in like two episodes and was kind of a jerk for the first one. Um. Eh. And like a lot of a lot of her screen time is just like walking around, talking with a friend, being kind of a jerk to the one guy who's actually trying to help Inuyashiki, and then being a damsel. Uh, I just don't understand why we're like the 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 end of episode ten clearly is meant to be a super dramatic moment where it's supposed to be super sad for Inuyashiki. Um, but mostly I'm just like, I don't care about Mari. Like, she's she's a nothing character uh, who got zero development time. Um, because, I... most, because most of it was... Because most of the time of episode 9 where that could have happened was spent watching Shishigami kill a bunch more people. Um, I... If you can't tell, I have a lot of issues with how this show was structured. <laughs> oh, I disagree with you there. I appreciated. Uh, I appreciate. I actually. I could get Mari's development because she did actually develop. Um, and actually, a lot of her development was in the previous episode where she was. Uh, profile in uh, episode eight, <clears throat> and or at least the uh, like like her path of development, because at the start of the, at the start of the series is like what changes is her attitude towards her father, because in the beginning of the show, like she doesn't regard her father as someone that she can rely on. Uh, but, but by the end, but by the end, she does. And, and, and so she, by by the end, she trusts him. And and that would be a, like, decent arc if the show had actually cared about the father's interaction with his family, uh, past more than the first episode. That first episode was super good because, and I loved it so much because it established his relationship with his family, like very well, and sort of the bleakness of it. Uh, and so it was really uh, an emotional. It was really an emotional moment when he finally gets like recognition and respect uh, from someone, anyone um, who is like outside his family. Uh, but then past episode one, it gets into the Shishigami stuff and is just like all about Shishigami and Inuyashiki, like learning their powers and like all the blood and the gore and the killing and the maiming. And then the show remembers like, and then like by the very end, the show remembers like, oh, right, there are other characters here. And then tries to cram that stuff in at the last moment, and just doesn't work because he hasn't really spent any time with his family since then. Like they haven't mattered 
for several episodes uh that that hasn't been an arc so it just feel comes off feeling like an incredibly hollow attempt to tug at my heartstrings and it just doesn't work because i don't care about these people i don't care about their relationship with inuyashiki because past the first episode it hasn't mattered um well and like and like even even shishigami like even his character hasn't mattered past like the second or third episode because eventually he turns from like uh, a portrayal of like someone suffering from actual sociopathy to a generic i'm gonna burn the world villain and everything gets just just gets so much less interesting (laughs) uh and, and like i said before like the the episodes where Shishigami like temporarily reforms, they might as well have not happened, because nothing about them changes anything that happens in nine and ten. Yeah. <laughs> well, like maybe maybe my opinion will change with episode eleven, but I sincerely doubt it. Um, well, like well, I will I will absolutely eat crow if I'm wrong, but. Like, the storytelling has been pretty messy past the first, like, three or four episodes, so. Well, what I, what, uh, actually, with the, uh, the exchange between, the exchange between, uh, Inuyashiki and Shishigami actually reminded me of the movie Falling Down, where, you know, we're in that, you know, in that movie, you know, it's, it has, you know, has, it's about, you know, Michael Douglas, you know, just like you know, goes on a rampage, you know, and you know Robert Duvall plays this cop who's like tracking him down, uh, and and at the end of the movie, you know, Michael Douglas is like he's cornered and he's like, wait, I'm the bad guy, and and so Shishigami's reaction to Inuyashiki kind of reminded me of that. Yeah, I mean, like, that could also be an interesting thing to take, uh, like, an interesting, like, arc to have, but also, as, like, as Shishigami's character was previously established, he shouldn't care about that. Um, and then if he, if he suddenly did care about that, then why does he have such a disconnect? Um, and like he, I feel like his character and the way he operates and thinks changes depending on what he needs to be for the narrative. He's not as consistent as the other, like, he's not consistent like Inuyashiki is. Um, it's just really frustrating because there's a lot of cool stuff that this show could have explored. Um, and then it just kind of turned into, at least for a fairly significant chunk of it, the Shishigami murder fantasy power hour. Uh, and that took up a very large portion of the show. And it just wasn't, and like past like the first 
episode or so where we sort of learn the full extent of what he could do with her, his murder powers. Um, it just felt excessive. And just completely unnecessary. Uh, I can agree with that. Yeah, so... Uh, man. I'm... Yeah. I disagree. I, I give episode 9 a 1. Uh, episode 10... A 3, purely because I like the fight scene. Uh... I'm gonna give episodes 9 and 10 fours. Alright, uh, finally, let's talk about, uh, Land of the Lustrous, episodes 10 and 11, which have some really interesting things going on in them. Yeah, right, because it's like, wait, like, what's the deal with Sensei and the Lunarians? Yeah, and, and sort of beyond that, we have... Like, in episode 10, we have Fos and Bort teaming up, and Bort being very forceful about it, and Fos not really un- not really knowing exactly how to react to it. Yeah. Except that it it's not going to be a good thing. She she said that, uh, I, don't, I think it was Diamond she said that too. She says, yeah, I'm going to go with her, but I'm not going to like it. Yeah. Yeah, and so that, then after that fun, like, little character interaction happens where they're trying to sort of... They're they're walking out together and sort of uh, trying to deal with each other. Then we have the giant Lunarian show up that's like this big, multi-armed lion dog, basically. And the more you cut it up, the smaller pieces regenerate. Yeah, and we have this, like, really kind of cool scene uh, in their home temple where it's very reminiscent of in Jurassic Park where you have that one section that's basically a slasher film, but it's velociraptors (laughs) uh, with, like, the kids trying to evade them, like, in the kitchen. That's what happens with Diamond and the lion dog uh, in the temple. Uh, yeah. It's really a cool sequence. Yeah, I was, I was, yeah, I got, I picked, I got that horror movie vibe from it. Uh, yeah, especially that like really cool scene where she's hiding behind the desk, uh, and you get these really neat camera angles to uh, show her like crawling over, um, but not giving you enough uh, visual to really know where the lion dog is. <sighs> Yeah, the direction, the direction in the show, really quite good. You know, yeah. The when we first thought this was a CG, I was thinking this was going to be cheap, typical. No, this is not your cheap, typical CG at all. This is, yeah. This is very well done. Yeah, there's some honestly like really impressive camera movements and uh, choreography in episode 10 uh that made me go like whoa that's rad um well it's it's really it's really a a really wonderfully shot episode all around like especially uh especially like the scene where diamond 
like finally just stops is like no i'm not gonna run anymore and she starts uh, destroying the the lion dog and like breaking up parts of herself in order to do it and like slashing at him with her severed arm like it's such a cool sequence well i, I my fun part of that one was at the end when they're putting diamond back together and she's wait a minute there was cute puppies there was cute puppies and i missed the cute puppies oh <laughs> Yeah, so then we get to episode 11 where, you know, there turns out that when Diamond defeated it, it she didn't really defeat it, it, she just split it. So now you've got smaller ones to deal with. And that's when Alexandrite goes berserk. Uh, yeah, well, she's it looks like that she's not ever supposed to see a Luminarian because when she does, she flips out. Completely. Yeah, she basically goes Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. Uh, and yeah, so it, that was a really neat sequence where her hair turns red and then she just annihilates one of the lion dogs. Um, this sort of culminates in a just giant, like, just a ton of lion dogs, like little puppies. Yeah, actually, they gave, they actually, there were, they gave a number. It was uh, what they, they split it. It was one hundred and eight. One hundred and eight. Yeah. Uh, okay. Because uh, you saw when they put when they gathered all the all the puppies and they counted up to one hundred and seven, and then there was one left over. The one yeah. Cinnabon had ended up with. That has to be significant, right? There's probably uh, some significance yes. behind that number. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> yes. Uh, one hundred and eight is a very significant number in Japanese religion. Yeah, that's what I figured. I'm yeah. just I'm just not sure why it's significant exactly. Uh, I don't know. It's something to do with their kind of their numerology. I see. We'll we'll ha- I'll have to look that up maybe. Yeah. But um, yeah, but 100, yeah, 108 comes up a whole lot in like references to Japanese religion. Yeah, I just I just really love Bort and Fos's reaction, especially Bort's reaction to all the puppies and that Bort like really wants to kill them but she cannot bring herself to slice the tiny dogs in in half and then they all go back together and cuddle around sensei it's like huh yeah (laughs) and And then we have the scene where they're all sleeping yeah and it turned out yeah it turned out that yeah when they turned back when they turned back into a big uh, a big lion dog he, it ended up being tame and, you know, not aggressive anymore. Uh, yeah. Which I... was kind of, which is kind of nifty. Oh, poor folks. This, this, yeah. this, this similar metal thing is driving her a little nuts. And, and see, she's still missing memories, and I don't know. I, I don't know if they ever find all will ever find all the pieces of her and give her her memories back, or if she's just going to retain what she's got. But she did find out that her uh, her metallurgy does have some limits to it. Yeah. Yeah, and and her relationship with Cinnabar is kind of deteriorating, uh, and we also learn that Cinnabar very much does not trust Sensei at all. 
which may be one of the reasons why she's uh she stays out like she does and doesn't interact with the others an isolationist uh-huh Okay. Now, I am going anyway. to give both of these episodes fives because I completely and totally enjoyed them. Yeah. I I really like them as well. Uh, and I am really excited to see what they do with um, the new gem lady. I can't remember what her name is. Yeah, it's with a P and it's long. Uh, it was something complicated. Okay. Uh, Podparja. No, Podparadja. There we go. Yes. <laughs> Good heavens. Some of these gem names, I swear. Uh, well, and- but yeah, there was a lot There was a lot of really cool and like visually interesting and just really neat stuff happening in both these episodes. So ap- they absolutely get, both get fives. Uh, All right. I'm going to give... Yeah, I'm going to give them five. You know what? I've got one thing to say here. And I haven't heard one way or the other, but this arc, and I'm calling it an arc, it's been the Fos arc. We've still got a lot of gems. Uh, Are we going to get more? Uh, Uh, I'm not sure. I have not read the manga. Yeah. uh, I think... uh, I think Aaron would know better than I would. Because, I mean, if if you look at it logically, you know... We, we've covered Fos, but, you know, we know a little about uh, the, the physician. We know a little, but we know, a, but there's a lot more gems that we know nothing about. And it's like, I mean, if they wanted to make this something long running and it would capture interest, it, that's the formula, guys. Well, Fos is the main point of view character. So it's all going to be, It's. I think it's like, yeah, I mean, she interacts with all these other gems, but I think... She's going to, it's, you know, it's all going to be, the interactions are all going to be from her point of view. Yeah. Well, I just, I'm just saying for, for, for story purposes, man, you know, you got a lot of story left to tell. I mean, we don't even have Sensei's background. Yeah. So, I, that's, you know, that's just, I, I was sitting and thinking about it as I was watching this, and it's like, you know, well, okay, so when we, because we get, I mean, we, we saw the crystal and the cold crystal long enough for her to get captured by the bad guy. Well, most of her captured by the bad guys. And it's like, yeah, where are we going with this? Because you know me, I curious minds like to know things. Anyway. Well, you know, it was losing an archetype that I think really catapulted Foz's development. Yeah. As a character. Yeah, you know, where she starts out, she starts out, you know, she starts out being this, like, happy, happy-go-lucky screw-up, but, you know, well, after losing, after losing an Arctosite, that's when, I think, you know, that's when she really, well, and you know, remember, she, really, she, she really changes and becomes, uh, you know, a much, a much wiser, stronger, but sadder person. Well, and she lost a lot of her memories, too, because she lost a lot of her pieces, yeah. So, you know, is this does this change because of the the dissimilar metals? And that's the only word I can think of right now that you know, that she's no longer a gem, she's a composite. 
is that part of it or you know there like i said there there's a lot of questions i would like answered now whether it'll happen or not you know okay cold days in hell do come but yeah definitely definitely not this season no i think we're getting really close to the end here in fact i know we're getting close to the end because the little thing there's only one more episode yeah there's only one you are correct sir which hopefully they'll eventually be making more of it. Well, yeah, I mean, I can, I can see. I don't know how expensive computer graphic is compared to hand art, but it's got to be, I would guess, more efficient. Because if you screw up the computer, well, you just overwrite the file. You overwrite the file. You screw up hand art, and then you've got to re reanimate it, re this, re that. So, you know, it may be cost effective. In the in the computer generated, I'm I'm not you know I'm no expert, so I'm I'm that's just kind of a throwout question. But you know it, it seems to be an economical might be an economical I'll put that word might might be an economical way to produce anime. <laughs> hey, hey, the quality of this is not bad. I mean, I was really expecting something cheesy, and it's not cheesy. And I think I think actually being done, being done by computer, enhances enhances the presentation of the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is this is a show where I think the three D act the CG actually really works well for it. And you know, uh, if you've got a winning formula and it's not breaking the bank to produce, uh, I mean, we've watched anime that have been questionable in the amount of episodes that they've had and you know all hand drawn so I'm just kind of like yeah okay guys uh... okay that's my two cents worth I haven't said a whole lot tonight so I just said a little bit more uh huh and I brought silence to the audience uh I'm anything I think we're done I think we're done with uh, the show for now uh, yep, I agree. All right, so uh, let's go ahead and, uh, yeah, I guess you, you really now be. I don't think we have any listener questions, do we? Really? I did not see any. Nope, we don't have anything to speak of. Yeah, so yes, yeah, so that'll be it for this episode of uh, BakaCast. Um, the next recording will be our final one for the fall season. Where we... uh, that will also include. Uh, our awards for this year, I believe. Yeah, best show of the season, best show of the year. Yeah. Uh, yes. Rotten tomato. I, I, my tomatoes are out on the porch. They should be good and rotten by the time we record because I've got some doozies I want to launch. Fantastic. So anyway, um, you can uh, as you can sh- uh, send us comments or questions either at www.projectharhi.net or at. Uh, AudioEntropy.com or at BakaCast at BakaCast at ProjectHarhi.net There we go. There's the email address. Uh, You can also tweet me at StiltsTheGM. And you can tweet me at DeathSlinky. And you can put a comment on the website and I'll read it. I do read the website. Uh, Very few people think I don't, but then they leave little comments and go, oh, wait a minute, you you answered that. You actually read this. Why, yeah, I own it. I read it. Damn it. Hello. All right. Anyway, uh, without further ado, Ben, Dustin, 
three, two, one. Kitterbush. Ho, ho, ho. Ho.